entirely new being. Entirely new being. And we have the opportunity to take a hold of that and get that. And if we can apprehend that, if we can really grasp that, believe that, and operate that, we will act differently. So in Ephesians, it talks about chapter 4, 22 to 24, about putting off the old man and putting on the new. So there's a volition, a part of us. We have the new creation. That is the new man. We're called continually to put that old man off because it's still there. Um, some of you may be familiar with the movie series Back to the Future, and they show this DeLorean, you know, big 1980s car that they had, and it was kind of cool and it could operate, and it operated a gasoline engine. And then when they go to the future, 30 years, which is actually, you know, eight years ago, um, it can now have a fusion engine, I only wish. But the point is, with the Holy Spirit, we have this new power source. There is still the old engine, actually, within us. We can still operate in a gasoline engine. We can still choose to be that old version that looks on the outside. Because if you look at the outside of that vehicle, it looks very much the same. The outside may not look that much the same. But the inner core, the inner engine transmission has been radically altered. The old one is still there. It's not been completely gone. It isn't. We won't be gone until we're in the new earth, in the new heavens. It won't be gone until we're with Jesus. But we have a choice moment by moment, day by day, whether we choose to operate in the old or the new. And what Paul is declaring to the Corinthian church is you are a new creation. You can't be thinking of things of the flesh. You have to be thinking of things of the spirit. And, and there's a reason why that's so. And that goes to the next verses in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So when we take verses out of context... We do that sometimes because we want to say, oh, you're a new believer. You just have to remember that. But it's really also so much deeper, so much more valuable if we take the word in how Paul was trying to communicate it. That whole new creation, he's saying, look, put off the old flesh, put on the new. But why are we a new creation? Why are we a new creation? It is not for our sakes. You're not a new creation for you. God didn't make things better for your sake, for your benefit, even though he did. But that wasn't his primary purpose. Why? What was his primary purpose? Obviously for his glory, but specifically in here, he has reconciled himself to Jesus. Jesus was the example who has given us this ministry. It is for a purpose. You're a new creation for a purpose. If you could be a new creation, he could make a new creation go to heaven, everything great. But we're here for a reason. That's something we have to get. Everything that pastor has been talking about everything that past, pastor Glenn has or our evangelist Glenn, uh, Glenn has been sharing has been on the same things what is the purpose that we have here and it says very clearly in these verses the ministry of reconciliation 
Jesus set the example by his death, by the stripes, by the pain, by the suffering, by all the sin of the world, past, present, and future. Imputed to him, put on him, made on him, he became sin. All that together, God did. Why? To redeem us. Why? To make us a new creation. Why? So that we can continue the work that Jesus had proclaimed. In verses 20 and 21, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God in him. All this is tying together. Everything is intertwined because Christ died to redeem us. He became What Jesus has done for us, why he did that, what he wants of us, and how much that will make us anew in Christ. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness. That's the only way we can become righteous. There's nothing we can do in our strength to become righteous. Nothing. Nothing. Our works are but filthy rags. Nothing we can do. Still, nothing we can do in ourselves. We are a conduit. We are a vessel, earthen, cracked on the outside, but an amazing power source on the inside of the Holy Spirit as we surrender and operate on that. Now, we have the ability to go alongside it or inhibit it. That's what God is calling us. And so we implore you on Christ's behalf. That's what Paul's saying. And so we're saying the same thing. We implore you. 
We implore you, church, on behalf of Christ, there are people dying every day and they don't know God. And we get so caught up, we all get so caught up in our stuff, in our busyness, in our everything that we think about, the food we eat, where we're gonna sleep, what we're gonna do, vacations we want, TV shows we wanna watch, movies we wanna see, all the mundane stuff when there are people who are dying right now and they don't know about Jesus. So much of the world has no idea. So much of the United States really have no idea what Jesus has done. We didn't really understand it. We have to fight for that vision to see that even each day to appreciate what Christ has done for us, what he's continually doing for us. Cruz said, we obviously stand at the brink of a great mystery and our understanding of it can only be minimal. The privilege that God gives us with mercies that are new every day, with the grace that he offers, is to rediscover in each moment what he's done. To take the joy of salvation that he's given us, to walk in that joy with lives that are transformed. But God's not gonna keep us the same. Continually changing us. Continually conforming us to the image of the Son. And each day as we fall deeper in love with Jesus, as we surrender more to him, we get to have more of a sense of presence and we become better ambassadors, servants, conduits of his Holy Spirit, of the power that he's doing. I could say this at the end, but I'm gonna say this now. This is a quote by John Wesley. As a motto, Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. And that can only be done to the power of the Holy Spirit, only to the power of God. That means being present to that and the needs of others in each moment of now. How much of our day, though, is still caught up in our own thoughts, in our own plans, our own aspirations, our own comforts? How little do we spend thinking of the needs of others? But that's why we're a new creation. We're made new creation to be ambassadors of Christ, to plead with others how much they need Jesus. And so he says at the beginning of chapter 6, in 2 Corinthians, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have helped you and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It says, fellow workers, we work with you. There's different terms, and the Greek word is synergeo, where we get the word synergy. We work with Jesus. We work hand in hand with the Holy Spirit. We work with God, and it's really God who's doing the working. We just have to kind of go agree and be basically in to the work that he wants to do with us. 
And he's got a plan for every moment of every day for us. I want you to get this. He has a plan for every moment of every day. It's not like, oh, only certain times that I'm doing Jesus' work. Every moment is a testimony of the work of Christ in us. And so he says, now is the day of salvation. So when we talk of salvation, we can look back and think about the day that we were saved. But really, there are two aspects to that day of salvation. We are saved every day. His grace is every day. His mercy is every day. There's a salvation of the point of time, but there's a day of salvation. That salvation is continual. It is that saving grace, that, that very grace, that grace that we don't take in vain, that transforms us in the image of Christ and continues that transformation. But it's also that idea that being ambassadors as fellow workers, it's also the day of salvation for others. And we have to appreciate what God did, that salvation wasn't for us. It wasn't just for us. I mean, there is some of it, but it really wasn't just for us. It's for the needs of others. It's for the kingdom. It's for his glory. And he says, behold, now is the accepted time. And there is an urgency. We have to get, there is an urgency because the time is drawing nigh. The time is coming. Others may believe it's going to continue as it always does, as people believe, but that's not true. The time is drawing nigh. 1 Corinthians 15.10, but, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What is Paul saying? That grace was given to us at the day of salvation, but that grace is renewed each day. So yesterday's grace doesn't carry over for today. Today we need his grace anew. We have to come to the throne of God every day for the grace to get through each day and each moment of every day for the benefit of others. And he says, I labored more abundantly. He says that grace is not a passive grace. That grace is an active grace. That grace they use the word hypomone. It causes us to endure, to persevere. That grace causes us to press through, to push through. Sometimes it seems like we're wading through a sea of molasses to push through for what God has. Redpath says... God's grace is always coming to my heart and life in a very wonderful and blessed experience of now. Yesterday's grace is totally inadequate for the burden of today. And if I do not learn to, take, to lay hold of heavenly resources every day of my life for the little things as well as the big things, as a Christian, I soon become stale, barren, and fruitless in the service of the Lord. we have the opportunity to allow God's grace, not just for big things when I go, I have to go and speak or have to do something to share the God in every little thing that we do to ask of God. He wants that kind of relationship, that intimacy that we're continually talking with him. So he says, now is the day of salvation. He's referencing Isaiah 49, 8. In an acceptable time, I've heard you 
and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. So God is going to use us as workers with him to accomplish his mission here. He can do it without us. He doesn't need us, but he wants to do it in and through us. So as he changes us, continually more like Christ, others are drawn to him. And it becomes this self-replicating, reinforcing cycle. But we have to get the urgency. We have to get, it is now. It is the time. And I'm going to share a story, and you may or may not have heard this. It's about an ancient story about three demons who are arguing over the best way to destroy the Christian mission in the world. First demon says, hmm, let's tell all the Christians there's no heaven. Take away the reward incentive and the mission will collapse. Second demon says, no, no, no. Rather, let's tell all the Christians there's no hell. Take away the fear of punishment and the mission will fall apart. The third demon thinks for a moment and says, wait, wait, wait. There's one better way. Let's tell all the Christians there's no hurry. And all three immediately said, yes, that's it. All we have to tell them is there's no hurry. And the whole Christian enterprise will collapse. We live our lives like there's no urgency. That tomorrow will be just like today. We'll just go into this drudgery again and again. Living and maybe make a little bit better. My life's better and save for my retirement. My kids grow up get an education, get a college, get a career, get a set. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but they're not the most important thing. They're not the most important thing. Even our profession, our vocation, they're not the most important thing. We have to get, why are we here? If we want to have this idea, this, this is false belief that you can kind of have Christ and do your own thing. Your life plus Jesus. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says you can't have your life and Jesus. The gospel is very clear. You have to die. You can't have Jesus alive with your life. Jesus can make your life through him. Life transformed, new life, new creation. You can't have, you can't be of Jesus and of the world. Can't happen. That's an illusion. It's a deceit. And that's what we've been living with. Each of us, personally, but also corporately within this nation and many parts of the, of the world, particularly of the West. Look what Paul went through. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 3-10. to 10. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things, we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much praise, sorry, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand, and on the left, 
by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Wow. So he set the standard. Paul's basically telling us when we're ambassadors, that's the kind of path we'll have before us. Wonder what does it look like? People ask, what's God's plan for my life? What's his vision for my life? Why does he want me to do? Scripture says we don't give offense in anything. We're ambassadors. So we're here not to give offense. That means he's saying, I'm not here to make it difficult for you. I'm here to be honest. And he even told the Corinthians, I'm not here to be a burden to you. I have others who support me. He says, I don't even care to be the most prominent person. I'm not here to get the acclaim. I don't care for esteem. I don't care about any of those things. Okay? And he's saying, when he says it may not be blamed, he's talking about not justly blamed. People can say crazy things and blame for all things. But he knows when he says blamed, he's referring to what God will say. He's always looking at what is God going to say about what I'm going to do. So we want to go, what's our metric? We have to ask, what will the Lord God say about what I'm going to do? When I decide to do this, what will God say? Do we ask God the question, if I decide to go to work today, what will God say? Do I ask God the question, if I decide to go out to eat or watch this, what will God say? That's the standard we always are called to do. What would God say? What would he want? We used to have that bracelet back 20 years ago, you know, what would Jesus do kind of thing, based on the book In His Steps by Charles Sheldon. Okay? And then they mocked it and did all the things. But the standard of it is asking the question, what would God, how would God? If we have to be before the Lord and he asked us, where are you going to be when you do that? Is that where you want to be? If you suddenly got before God and that's what you're doing, is that what you want the last moment you'll be doing before you were with Jesus? It's a reasonable question to ask. Reasonable question to ask. So, one of the things you have to appreciate, he says it's also in much patience. And I've used that word before and I've talked about that. That patience is not a passive activity. It is an active. Hupomone in the Greek means endurance. It's a pressing through patience. And he says, in tribulations, needs, and distresses. Okay? When he talks about stripes, imprisonment, and tumults, it talks about all the things he went through. Tumults is like riots. Basically, in, you know, you look what's happened to the nations, it'd be like in the midst of being in some of the riots we've had. And for us, it may not be violence in the regular sense, but mockery. Contempt of the crowd. He said, in labors, in the work they did, in sleeplessness, but he also said something else, in fastings. Now, hunger, it means you don't have, but fastings means he made a choice. He made a choice to do some things to surrender. So we talk about fellow workers. Some of the stuff was externally imposed that was not within his control. But some of the stuff that he elected to do is he put some burdens or hardships because his priority was for the mission for God more than for himself. 
And so the disciplines that we do as a believer, when we spend time in the word, when we forego certain things that we want to do in our flesh, because we realize that the time is drawing short, that we're here to redeem that time, and we want to press into God more, spending time in the word, spending time in fellowship, spending time ministering to others, even though sometimes it's uncomfortable, sometimes we're tired, sometimes it's frustrating. That's what Paul was doing. Not every trial Paul went through was the same, but every single trial made him have endurance. And this is what God's creating within us. We see this here within this body. God wants us to endure. Not endure like just batten down, but endure like if you look at a storm, you press in because you're still going to go there and you're going to have to weather and your way through. God's teaching us we need to be stronger in the Lord, stronger in his strength because we're not going to be welcome. And, you know, right now, you know, certain countries of the world, the U.S. is still esteemed and coming as a U.S. ambassador is a big deal and people like it. But there are some countries right now, if you're the Russian ambassador, you're not going to be well-received by most countries. But we're going to be, as you can see, as ambassador of Christ, may not always be well-received. People may not like, want to hear what we have to say, certainly on the surface level. But God may have a plan for us to do it because there may be a few people that he has specifically asked us to go forth to reach out. And by enduring the vast majority, the 90% who don't like, the 10% might receive what they... God wants them to receive. And that's the challenge for us. That's why it's really hard, you know, when you look at the ministry of live dead, when you look at those who go, um, you know, to the 1040 window and you go to places where there's clear persecution, they're precedent, they're ambassadors in a place where they have to be discerning wise, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, but pressing and trusting, getting hold. And that's not easy. And we got to see the witnesses of the women last week when they were sharing at the Voice of the Martyrs when we had that, they were persecuted, being in a container for like three years. And I see the container behind Joe's house and going, living in a container like that for three years. How do you do it? Your own feces, urine, your waste, the heat, down near the equator, sufferable heat. In her case, she had a crazy woman there too who would attack her. That you have to be vigilant all the time. You couldn't even rest. You couldn't even relax in the stink. You couldn't relax. Or your husband's taken away and you don't know if he's alive or dead. You can't even move forward. Do I hope out and keep praying that he may be alive or do I move on to maybe he's with Jesus and I go on? Not knowing the psychological stress of that, but still trusting in Jesus. We live in comfort, material comfort here. And material comfort's greater and greater, but it is a deceit, it's an illusion. It will pass, it will all burn up. Why are we here? Are we willing to go through the persecution? Are we willing to go through the suffering? So Paul continues, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, and by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on 
the left. He, and he goes by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, dying and we live, chastened and yet not killed, sorrowful yet rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing all things. So he talks about two sides. On one side is dishonor, evil report, deceivers, unknown, dying, chastened, sorrowful, pouring, having nothing. That's the world. That's the world. And on the other hand, honor, good report, true, well-known. Behold, we live not killed, always rejoicing, making many rich, possessing all things. That's of eternity. In the midst of the trial, he always had his eyes fixed on the eternal. Are we willing to let go of everything in the material and what we have here for the eternal? Are we willing to trust what God's going to do for eternity? He kept his eyes on the mix of it. He, he saw in everything, in each moment of persecution, and that's a challenge for us. I get wrapped up, we all get wrapped up in our difficult, in our trials. I'm concerned about what I'm going to be doing, and I've made some choices, and there's a part of me that's still anxious. What's going to happen, this call, and it's still trying to figure things out in my own intellect. Instead of trusting God's good, God promises to work out to good all those who love him and call according to his purpose. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. I say to you, rejoice. Pray continually. Rejoice always. Give thanks in every circumstance. In all the things and all the words, it's very clear what God, there's the world's way of looking at it. And the idea is, we sometimes think, I can have the good of the world and the good of Jesus. Yeah, it's looking more and more likely that's not true. That's not reality. That's not how the kingdom works. It says the world's going to hate you. That's the challenge. That's the choice before us. Do we want to please God? Do we want to be known by God? Do we want to trust in him, rejoicing with him, looking at what we're going to have in heaven for eternity? Willing to be completely dishonored here thought of, you know, the, Paul Washer said this, and I love the quote, he said back in 08, he said, they're going to hate us, not because we're wicked, but we're going to do right by God, and they're going to hate us for the right that we do, because they're going to say, that which is good is bad, and that's being said. Are we willing to take that? It's not trying to create offense, like Paul was, but speaking the truth, trusting that God's going to give us the strength, seeking his will to be his ambassadors. That's what being a new creation in Christ is about. That's what everything he's talking about. Being a new creation in Christ is not about us. Never has been. Never will be. It's always about Jesus. That's about the Spirit changing us to make us more like him, about being asters, working alongside. And so there's a part of us. God does the work, every part of it. I mean, really, we can obstruct it, or we can go along with it. We can beat against the goads, as Paul initially did when Jesus admonished him, or we can surrender. Lord, Lord, yes, give me sight. I was blind. We are continually blinded by what we see. 
not seeing the unseen, which is the true reality. And so when we have the eyes, when we're praying and when we're worshiping God, he gives us a vision for eternity. He gives us an eternal perspective that will change us. God is always wanting to make us more like him, more like Jesus, for the glory of God and the benefit of others. It's always external focus, not internal focus. The less we think about ourselves, the better off we'll be. Trusting in him. We don't have to worry about ourselves. God's gonna take care of it. He promised he would. We have to worry about Jesus alone. Trusting in him, surrendering in him, surrendering to him. So, 